Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So we have been exploring, you have heard that it was said, a series that is focusing on this passage and the subsequent verses that we'll get to in the next few Sundays about how Jesus wanted his people to shift their understanding. So as we talk about a maxim, that's a law or precept, and that's what the people had. Jesus was citing for them their understanding that had come down through the ages and through generations from the Torah, those first five books of the Bible. And as it had come through the ages, sometimes the message doesn't reach the end the same way it started out. So if you were like me and ever sat in a cafeteria at school and played that wonderful game, telephone operator, then you'll know that sometimes it is hysterical, the divergence between the original message and what happens at the end when you transfer that, because people emphasize different words, and a lot of times you'll notice when you play that game, people don't hear the same way or at all, and so sometimes people have trouble even remembering what it was that they're supposed to be saying, and then you always have that one person that just kind of makes it up when they forget completely, and and when you get to the end and the person says what it was and the originating person goes, that's not what I said at all. Nobody seems shocked. (laughs) But today we're experiencing that on a biblical scale because what had happened was God had given God's people at Mount Sinai and in the years following that, the law what they call the law of Moses or the Mosaic laws and commandments. And they were meant to help people understand how to repair a broken relationship, especially when human sin has caused a rift, and also how to go about living in right relationship with one another and in community. And unfortunately, what ended up happening was a development of legalism because human beings are not perfect. And for some reason, we always seem to have this bent to sinning. And so rather than remembering the spirit of the law, as Jesus says, people follow the letter of the law, sometimes choosing the law over people and relationship. And Jesus wanted us to get back from that habit and instead follow a different path. And so that's what our series is about. So last week we explored how Jesus was addressing the human desire for vengeance, seeking revenge when we feel harmed, especially if we feel publicly humiliated, embarrassed, or someone has actually struck us, which was meant to cause humiliation. When we experience something like that, some kind of pain and suffering, whether it is verbal, emotional, or physical, It is natural for people to want to strike back. And so originally, the law had put a cap on that. Yes, you can get reparations, but you can't be going farther than that for revenge. If I were to take out your eye, you can't cut out my head. And so it was trying to stop the urge to go above and beyond, right? And if you've ever watched children get into a game where they play punch buggy, you'll know that sometimes the first kid hits the other one, and then the other one hits back a little harder until the parent is dreading seeing a beetle coming down the road because it's going to be a bloodbath. 
because we don't seem to be able to restrain ourselves, which is why I don't let people punch in my car. You're not allowed to play punching games in my car. Instead, we want to try to focus on a different way. And that's precisely what Jesus is giving us. Let's get away from the maxim and get into the mantra, saying words and an understanding that will bring us strength and truly focus us where we need to be. In a world that is filled with words and verbiage, we have to focus on what Christ is telling us. And so today, Jesus goes back to the legalism. It actually says, if someone tries to sue you. So we're talking about legalistic cases here, case law. And Jesus says, if somebody wants to sue you, then let's talk about what your response to that should be. If you are a follower of me says Jesus. Now, we have to understand exactly how clothing worked and functioned back in Jesus' day. So unfortunately, if you were here in the sanctuary, I could show you some of our stained glass windows of Jesus kind of portray this very well. He has on a white robe that kind of like my all, but looks like that. And that is the foundation garment that people wore. That was mostly the only garment that they wore uh, as clothing. They didn't have undergarments the way we as modern Christians do. And so they didn't layer their clothes in the same way. Underneath that robe, you would be naked. And then you would have an outer cloak that you would wear so that you could have an extra insulation of layering against inclement weather like rain or cold or wind. And if you were out traveling, as most people did, they didn't have hotels along the way. And so people would be able to wrap up in that on the side or use it as a pillow if it was a warm night. And people needed that to live. It was an important part of their protection against the elements. It wasn't just about comfort and fashion. Actually, it wasn't about comfort and fashion at all. It was about the practicality of being able able to survive. And so Jesus was addressing this, that it's actually prohibited explicitly in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy for you to take someone's coat overnight, that if they gave it to you as kind of a promissory note, you had to return it to them before nightfall so that they could be safe and protected. That was a requirement of the law. And so for Jesus to say, if someone's trying to sue you and take your your cloak, give them your coat as well, you would actually end up naked in court. And Jesus is not trying to encourage us to go around naked. Jesus is not a nudist. That was not what was happening. Instead, Jesus was saying, look, you have the opportunity when someone is so distressed that they want to take you to court and sue you to say, you know what? It's more important to me the relationship with you, even if our relationship is clearly not that good because you've taken me to court. What's more important is that clearly you feel like you need this. And if you need it so badly, then I'm going to give it to you because I know that there are others that will help to clothe me, which is why in the very same gospel account of Matthew, Jesus talks about that we clothe those who are naked. We feed those who are hungry. We give the thirsty something to drink. We welcome the stranger and we visit the sick and the imprisoned because the expectation of Jesus is that we focus more on people than possessions. And that's precisely what he is encouraging us to do. When he says in verse 40, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give them your cloak as well. Be willing to make sure that they have enough because they obviously feel that they don't if they have to sue you. And the idea for Jesus would be that people would see that you are willing to do the right thing, that you are willing to take care of them. You are willing to make sure that they aren't going to suffer and go without. Now that's 
pretty countercultural in Jesus' day and in our day. In fact, it's radically countercultural now. Most of the time, if somebody were to sue you now, you would go to court and you'd want to have a lawyer so that you could not give people anything. Instead, Jesus is saying, focus on how you respond to the person, not the circumstances, the person. Because we could be very upset if we ended up in court and somebody wanted to take something of ours. But instead, Jesus is asking us to look in a different direction, in a direction that focuses on human beings who are so precious to God. And that's hard for us. That's hard for us as Christians. It's certainly hard for us as human beings. And so Jesus wants us to choose a different path. We live in a world that is filled with people trying to make sure that they have enough. Not just enough for today or for tonight, but for tomorrow and for the rest of our lives, for retirement, we are very much focused on that. And the world encourages us to a certain extent to be rather selfish about that, to make sure that we are okay before we start worrying about other people. And it's certainly something that you can see the rational uh, underpinnings to. You can understand why someone would encourage you to do that. So when you hear Jesus saying something like this, it seems irrational. Sometimes it seems downright crazy. And it seems rather ridiculous that you wouldn't think first about yourself. But Jesus is saying that if every Christian looks to others to take care of them first, then other Christians would be looking to take care of us as well. If we are only looking out for ourselves, That's one person looking out for us. But if I am in a loving community with 50 other people in the body of Christ and I'm looking out for them and they are looking out for me, then not just one, but 49 other people are looking out for me. And that's a different way of understanding who we are and what we're called to be as Christians, as the body of Christ, the church. And it takes constant work and vigilance to shift out of a mindset that not only have we been trained to receive, but the world continues to back up for us. What are you doing with your money, says the world? What are you investing in for your future? And what are you doing to ensure that you don't end up like them? Well, when the world points to people as failures and broken, what we as Christians should be saying is, I'm going to respond with compassion, mercy, and kindness because God has loved me and given me grace when I was like that. And that's the hard part for Christians is taking that next step in our maturing spirituality. Where do we go from here? Unfortunately, this lesson is not one that we tend to get. I was born and raised in the church, and I don't remember any Sunday school lessons that really hammered this home a radical new way of responding to people. And I went to seminary, and I don't remember getting it there either because it's hard. It's a difficult lesson. And I think a lot of us don't feel worthy of even preaching that. I'm not Jesus. I certainly have my moments of not listening to this text, and I certainly have had my moments of being parked in my car and seeing someone on a median with a cardboard sign and wondering what they're doing out there. Instead, Jesus is saying, focus on the human being, the person, the being of sacred worth. Focus on that and how you would respond to their need, to their outcry, to their brokenness. People who are crying out for food or water or clothing are not doing that because they're fine. There is something wrong. 
and we can go, that's not my problem. I have to worry about myself. Or we can choose to be like Jesus, who modeled for us a radical different way of living. In fact, in his three years of earthly ministry, Jesus showed us exactly what it is to rely entirely on the hospitality and gratitude of other people. He and his 12 apostles journeyed around and lived because people were willing to host them and feed them and help them rather than creating his own money or soliciting funds from other people. Instead, he modeled what it was to focus on people and heal their brokenness and entrust that if he lived this life, that others would be moved. We find repeatedly in the scriptures that people were moved. Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus were just one example of those who were constantly willing to open up their hearts and their homes and give their resources to Jesus and his apostles. And because of that, they were richly blessed. And because of that, they were able to share their encounters and their experiences and transform the world. Now, the way of the world is so that we take care of ourselves. People have been doing that for generations, and this world has not been transformed. But if you look at the way Jesus lived and the impact his three years of earthly ministry have had now on billions of Christians, it's clear that his way is effective if we are committed to it, and if we are willing to step out in faith and answer the call when someone cries out. And it's scary. It can be downright terrifying at times. But it is truly to put our faith in God and in others who are vessels of our Lord and Savior. It is to be reminded that we are not in this alone, that there are Christians that are willing to help. And for those of you who have been in the United Methodist Church for any amount of time, there's a saying that we have, and that is, Methodism makes the world small. It's amazing how many people know other people because of the United Methodist Church. Or people will come into the church and say, we're here because we knew somebody all the way out in Kansas who happened to know you from seminary. It's amazing how much God is able to connect us. It's incredible that the more we connect ourselves in the body of Christ, the more we find that God is very much present and moving in the world. And the more we have the opportunity to be part of this transformation. We're not just asking God to transform our earthly vessel. We're asking God to use our transformation to transform this world. So that the next generation won't have to worry about A, B, C, and D. And they can just focus on A, B, and C. And if they continue that kind of gifting to the next generations, then we'll be so much closer and the world will have less suffering in it. We can spend our time trying to use our words to berate people or cajole them, but really what really transforms is goodness and grace. We are here in our relationship and in our worship today because we have experienced God's radical love and grace. We know what it is to be forgiven when no one else would forgive us. We know what it is to be loved when others told us that we were unlovable. And when others have rejected and despised us, God opened arms and invited us into God's heart. And because of that, we are here. And if it can change us, it can change others. It can change the world. And that's the promise and the hope that we have in Christmas, is that it truly changed everything. 
But to believe that Jesus changed everything, it isn't just that Jesus' life was meaningless until the death on the cross and the resurrection of Easter. It is to believe that what Jesus said to us is truly our guidebook, our pathway, and our path to discipleship. It is to really believe that what Jesus was saying is not anecdotal. It's not esoteric and hypothetical. It is literally the expectation. So that I would be willing if I were driving around and seeing someone who is standing on a median in the pouring rain to give them one of the extra umbrellas that I carry in my car. And that if someone was cold from the warmth of my car, I would give them my coat because I know that even if I went home and had no money and no coat, that I am in a body of Christ, a community, a family of faith that would help me in my time of need. So therefore, I can step out in courageous love to help someone else in their time. And I would love to tell you that when you do that and you step out in faith and you do something so wonderful and merciful as that, that instantaneously the heart is changed and they show up at church the next Sunday and get baptized. And that would be beautiful. I've never seen that happen. Now, maybe it does happen. Maybe you've seen it. And if so, you have to tell me so I can preach about that next time. But if it hasn't happened, it's because God is in this for the long run. God is making a long play in the hearts of humankind. And God knows that we become seed scatterers. Some of us are planting seeds. Some of us are throwing out goodness. And in the fullness of time, when the moment is right in the vessel, the Holy Spirit will allow those seeds to germinate. And the body of Christ will nurture those new plants into fruitfulness. And that takes time. It's not instantaneous. Sometimes people have to experience God's goodness dozens and dozens of times before they realize that it's not fate, it's not serendipity, and it's not simply superstition that some people are luckier than others. That truly what it is is that God is very intentional about using human beings like me and you to bless other human beings and that we really do give them Christ. Because whether it's a coat or it's a $20 bill, whether it's helping to pay for somebody's mortgage or helping somebody pay their heat bill so that their utilities aren't turned off, what they discover is that when the Holy Spirit opens up their hearts and their minds, that they got to experience God's goodness and grace in the loving response of a Christian, of the body of Christ, and of the church. And we all play a role in that. And that is our duty as those who have experienced a radical narrative shift in Christmas, that life truly did change its trajectory the day that the Christ child was born. And we have been given this opportunity today to not just remember and recall that, but to commit ourselves to living out the path that that same Christ child grew to show us for himself. That he was determined to model it not just for the first apostles, but every disciple. That it can be done. We can choose to be gracious rather than to set a limit to our goodness. That we don't have to choose revenge and vengeance. That instead we can choose goodness and relationship instead. And it's not easy. 
But when you think of all of the Christians that come to mind, when you think of a paragon of virtue, when you think of Christians that truly change the world, when you think of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., or you think of Desmond Tutu, I always think of Mother Teresa. And she truly changes my understanding of the world, probably because she's such a radically different Christian from me. And that's not because I'm a Protestant and she's a Catholic. It's because she put her faith into action in a different way than I do. And I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by a woman who chose to see people that no one wanted to look at or acknowledge or help. She chose to devote herself to the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. And there she not only saw them, but she got down in the messiness of life beside them. She helped them to stand. She helped them to be fed and clothed and experience God's willingness to provide for them when the world would not. And because of that, Others were inspired to join her order to become a nun in the monastic existence, none of which I have done. But when I see someone standing out on the medium, it is Mother Teresa's example that resonates with, for me. And it is the words of Jesus Christ that I hear narrating that experience. She did it. So can you. And that's the message that Jesus wants us to hear today. He did it. Others have done it. And they didn't do it because they are better than you and I. They did it because when the moment was right, they committed to the Jesus path rather than the selfish one. When things were very busy and it was all too easy to make an excuse and to go the other way, they chose to embody what it is to be a good Samaritan, the unexpected blessing in the world. And that is our call this day, to look for those times to choose to see those people, those persons of sacred worth, and to respond to them as God has responded to us countless times. I have never been homeless. I have never had to beg on the side of the road. But that doesn't mean that I can't imagine how difficult and humiliating that must be. And it doesn't mean that I am exempted from seeing and responded because I've never been there. In fact, perhaps it is just because I have never been there that I must respond because I don't want to be there. That is not the vision that I have for myself or for my child. But yet, every time a human being is standing there or sitting there or crouching there, that is a child of God. That is a brother or sister in Christ to me. And now it is my duty to see them as such to love them as such, and to respond. May God grant us the strength and the courage of the Holy Spirit to do just this, not just when we see someone who is homeless and hopeless, but when we know people like that in our family, in our circle of friends, in our schools, in our jobs, and especially in our community. May we learn to respond to them as God has responded to us in the past, today, and will every day into the future with great compassion and mercy, kindness and love, choosing to let our legacy be that we are a people not only saved by grace, but who work through grace. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.